Revolting is produced by The Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at The Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting with steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent, episode 76, The Confidence Game. Content warning. We say almost all the words we think of on this podcast. No filter. Almost no filter. Uh, many of our thoughts are inappropriate for sensitive ears. If you have a pair of those, go do something else for an hour, like bake some cupcakes or do some yoga or whatever. <laughs> nice. If you bake cupcakes and you have the cupcakes, but you don't want to eat the cupcakes for whatever reason, you can mail them to us. Uh, just tell us in the comments that you have cupcakes and we'll get you our address. You know, uh, our friend Bob in Portland, he showed up to the book release that Chris McNally and I had with a batch of cupcakes that his wife had made, and they were unreal i don't even remember what they were they were they were unlike any cupcake i've ever had and i you know like people are really into cupcakes there's whole stores that sell cupcakes yeah that's a that's a thing there's cupcake challenges on the baking network if the baking network is actually a thing maybe it's the cooking channel <laughs> i think you made that up <laughs> oh the cupcake network go on <laughs> uh and, and so people are ape shit for cupcakes you know what i mean and yeah, uh, I don't care about them. I've never really cared about cupcakes. I mean, they're good when you're like, it's like a little cake, but it's all for you when you're a little kid. Um, yeah. But these that Bob's wife made were spectacular. If anybody ever gets in here. Her name is Marta. We'll just give her credit since Marta. we know her name. Um, I'm with you on cupcakes. Uh, like they're good because things are good. Uh, so I'll eat a cupcake. I did a uh, bicycling race last week, week, well, like a week and a half ago. And at the end, they had cupcakes. And, you know, you're so calorie starved at that point that like, yeah, f fuck yes, I want a cupcake. So but the other people at the table with me, my, my the people I had ridden with, they were like, I still feel like I have little sugar socks on my teeth from like <laughs> all the crap I ate while I was riding. <laughs> so they didn't want the cupcake. So I alone take a cupcake and I do this thing that I've seen done where I, I break the bottom off and then put it on the top so the frosting is in the middle and then I eat it like a sandwich. Totally fucking blew people's minds. And I didn't, I just thought that's, that was like a, a known life hack. Did you learn about that on the internet or is that something that you've done pre, since pre-internet? I'm sure the internet taught, taught, I don't, I don't know that I knew anything prior to the internet, but, uh, no, I'm, it was not my own idea. It almost certainly came to me via algorithm. Huh. So uh, I don't know, but other, other people sandwich. were like, oh my God, what have you done? You, is that how you're supposed to eat cupcakes? I was like, I don't know. You, I think you're supposed to shove them in your fucking face, uh, yeah, which is what I'm going to do now. It's going to be ugly. 
quickly as possible. Hey, yeah. did we did we do an episode one time where we didn't say any bad words? <laughs> that just came to me. But that was like early on, right? Did we? I think so. We tried. And it was Did we try to make a clean podcast? Oh man, it was it was good. I think now that we're a little bit more familiar with this process and we have a little bit of a rhythm, I think that that would be a fun challenge. Oh, because I I can't not. I mean, there's bad words are just such a uh, foundational part of my entire vocabulary. But I, something just occurred to me, like while you were talking about cupcakes, and I was bored out of my mind in that story. I started <laughs> walking down, walking down memory lane, and thinking about um, thinking about other things, you know, until you finished. And then I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Did we do an episode? I think we did an episode where it was it, we challenged one another to to keep it clean. And I would like to try that again at some point. I've already blown it. I think I've already used a bad word today. So I think you did, too. It was unnecessary for me to say fucking cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I also appreciate that you probably like that whole time. All you were hearing was like peanuts. Peanuts parents. You were like, oh, robot. What the fuck? Who cares? His mouth will stop moving soon. No, I'm kidding. I loved loved that story. I was looking at notes from our very earliest episodes, and I was thinking, I don't remember doing these at all. Maybe we should just do them again because I bet the listeners haven't heard. Yeah, don't remember them either. I think we're kind of like we're kind of finally like have a cadence and we have, you know, what I was having such a hard time. Um, I don't know if it's like, I got a little bit of a perceptual communicative disorder. And so words go in to my head and then I don't process them. Right. So it's almost like, it's just like I'm firing off non sequiturs. And I was supremely uncomfortable at that point in my life, even though it was a year and change ago, things have shifted for me in a way that, uh, I feel more comfortable in my skin. You are an <coughs> entirely different person. I went than to see when we started this podcast. Uh huh. Yeah, I agree. I went to see my friend Jason Phillips at FTW Tattoo Shop in Oakland yesterday. Um, I go back with him years and years, and uh, he did a little blaster piece on my arm, and we caught up and um. He, he said, he was like, you look different in your body. Like, everything has changed, uh, you know, since a couple of years ago. I think the first uh, bunch of episodes we did together, it was me being whatever I am and you being yourself, but like from a cave under the ocean. That's a that's a pretty good analogy, I think. You know, okay. So I'm in Oakland right now. Mm. I'm house sitting for my ex, which by itself, if you told me even three months ago that I would be back here, I would have called total bullshit on it. Like I was totally resigned to this low grade heartbreak and this low grade resentment and this low grade hurt, low grade hurt. And, um, you know, I'd done neurofeedback therapy and I'd done somatic therapy and talk therapy and energy cleansing and God trips. Uh, and, um, 
all manner of, well, not all manner, but I had engaged in a number of different a lot way, of manners. ways of healing. Uh, and n- I, no way, no way. I'm never going to see my ex again. You know, despite the fact that like our split was super amicable and it wasn't, it wasn't, um, you know, a toxic relationship. It wasn't violent or any of this. I was just, I just didn't understand why, why it ended. And I mean, I kind of did, but it didn't seem like enough of a reason from my perspective. So I was just ready to kind of like always be a little bummed about it. And, um, and I've, when I was in the, I was in the doctor's office one day and I saw a card for hypnotherapy or or like a little uh, flyer for a hypnotherapist. And I'd been thinking about hypnotherapy since uh, 2015 after I crashed my bike and hurt my leg real bad. And I wasn't riding the same way. I was riding with a little bit of fear and I was like, holy shit, man, I'm going to have to, I have to get my brain changed in order to ride a bike properly again. And, um, never did anything about that. I just continued to kind of push through it. But then I started thinking about that scene in office space when he gets hit, the guy gets hypnotized and then his hypnotherapist dies. He basically hypnotizes him to not give a shit about anything. And then he dies. And then the end, uh, the protagonist in the story just goes through life, like not giving a shit, you know, and I wanted that. And um, I knew that that wasn't practical or realistic or ethical, even if a hypnotherapist could make you not give a shit. So I needed to write down notes and articulate exactly kind of what I wanted to achieve. I wanted to slough off uh, resentment and I, did, I wanted more hope for my own future and hope and more. I don't know. There was a whole list of things that I wanted to to sort of. Uh, get out of uh, out of hypnotherapy and I didn't really necessarily believe that it would work but I it couldn't hurt anyway so I was two sessions in and then uh, she texted me and asked me if I wanted to come babysit for our cat well she went not the hypnotherapist your ex I'm sorry yeah my ex I need to like streamline my storytelling so yeah, my ex gets a hold of me and asks me if I want to babysit our cat. So I'm like, okay, I'm staying in our house, which is not my house. I'm taking care of our cat, which is no longer my cat. Like I'm re-immersing myself in this whole reality that I essentially got flicked from and, you know, to a degree flicked myself just as a measure of protection or self-preservation. And I get back here and I'm like, this is great. Oh no, sorry. Jumped ahead a little bit. So I said, let me sleep on it a little bit and I'll get back with you. And then I was like, that actually sounds really nice. I really miss my friends. I really miss my, my ex. I miss my life. You know, I miss all of these things, these people that were so, uh, important, so valuable, like indescribably important to me. Um, and I miss them. And like, I've set some really good things in motion for myself in Washington state, but I miss these human beings and this animal. You and I had long conversations about this when you were still in the, I can't go back. In fact, didn't we do a whole episode called you can't go home again. That was about kind of exactly this, but it was in your previous mental state where you were like, yeah, I don't know. I don't see how I can ever uh, go back. Maybe. Yeah. We did do that. And so I got, yeah, I got back here and I was like, oh, this is, 
this is way easier than I thought it was going to be. And then I came back and stayed here for the book release and saw so many friends. And it was in, you know, I don't know, man. I don't know anything about hypnotism. I don't know if it was psychosomatic and I just talked myself into not giving a shit or what happened. But I feel like this grand shift has occurred. And now I'm here and she's gone and I'm, you know, staying, like seeing friends and doing stuff. And I feel really welcome here, you know? Uh, So... It is amazing. It is amazing. I mean, I think back to the first conversation you and I had when I, we started, I started, I think by texting you being like, oh, uh, let's do a podcast. And I have no idea at that point, knowing what I know now about where you were mentally and spiritually, Mm -hmm. (laughs) why you made any kind of positive reaction to that at all. And and I didn't really know what it was going to be or what uh, I certainly didn't envision us here 76 episodes later. But you were a broken ass person. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of our initial conversations were just about that uh, <laughs> before we started recording. But you were you were so heavy and it was like your whole life was just you sort of like swimming through molasses, trying to be Stevel again. And I think because I didn't know you super well before I was like, well, maybe this is how the dude is. I didn't, I didn't at least initially have a, a, a real clear picture of how heartbroken you were. And yeah, it's fucking night and day now. Like even the look on your stupid face right now that I'm looking at, (laughs) Is so much more like um, it's like it's like you were blurry before and now you're in focus. Uh, a little bit. I mean, I realize it's, you know, taking care of yourself is a work in progress. And I I spent so long thinking that, like, OK, I've achieved this level of established itness, you know, uh, and I guess like now I just kind of coast and it only took it took this entire calamity for me to realize that it's you you constantly have to engage in the process you can't sleepwalk through shit um and in a in a wild fucking shift i finally saw that had had this whole train wreck not happened i wouldn't have gotten pointed in the direction that I did to really take care of myself. I mean, I could suck it up and continue to tread water and just be bummed. But like I was throwing all of the mud at the wall. Um, and I was in this men's like support, like separation and divorce group. It was this online thing. And the dudes that were in there were so fucked up. I ended up leading one of the class, like one of the, <laughs> the discussions one time because the, the moderator was like picking up medication. It was in his car or something. So I was like, all right, Jerry, well, let's, t- you know, let's talk about what's going on with you this week. And I'm just like, what the <laughs> fuck, man, this isn't working for me at all. But, right. but I, but to see how hopeless these, some of these people were and how ill-equipped they were to, to navigate any of this stuff, you know, I was like, all right, you know, this gives me some perspective. Like, I'm pretty broken, but I'm not, 
I'm not dead in the water, you know. It is it is it is true you know that the calamities in our life in our lives almost always produce better versions of us. You know, like sometimes, but it's, it takes so much self-awareness to to be able to see it that way. I I, I mean, you Yes, me, yes, but your average person, I think, you know, like a lot of people, it's just like, oh, I've got this trauma and I have to carry this trauma. And I, it just like, it's this albatross for so many people. It's true. I listened to this thing about um, uh, survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Um, And and it was a, a psychologist, social worker person who was saying, uh, there are many things that can happen to you in your life that feel like there's no way back from that. Like mm-hmm. you will be broken forever as a result of this thing that happened to you. And childhood sexual abuse is one of those things that can really, especially if it's bit like long term, violent, all the things that can happen. Can I can um, I interject really quickly and recognize that while, you know, like what we're talking about, what I'm talking about and what it's a it's a a tiny little portal into you know like emotional strife and yes. i wasn't considering in saying that i wasn't considering anything nearly as profound as childhood sexual abuse right no i i only bring it up as an example of the sort of calamity that can happen to a person and the mm-hmm. reason i brought it up is because this psychologist said what what you learn from working with this population is that some people will be completely ruined by it in exactly the way you expect. Like a terrible, terrible, terrible thing happened to them and they never get over it. And other people just get over it and move on and thrive. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I don't think that's like, um, I don't think that's like a qualitative judgment on like the person who can't get over it versus the one that can. Like some people get PTSD and they kill themselves and some people get PTSD and they get over it and move forward. And it's, you just don't know who will and who won't. You, you just have to be fucking grateful <laughs> if you're one of the ones who comes through whatever your calamities happen to be. Right. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and I don't, you know, I t- typically don't ever want to compare or contrast like, oh, well, yeah, this was a bummer, but at least it's not this. Cause I don't, uh, you know, I've said it before. I don't think that honors what you're going through. So, right. you know, to, 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 and I, I hate that. Like, well, yeah, I mean, this sucks, but at least I got a roof over my head and I'm not, you know, at least I'm not <clears throat> a houseless or at least I'm not, uh, in the hospital with right. a broken neck or whatever, you know, cause that doesn't, yeah, at least, yeah. I, okay. That gives you some perspective and that might make you feel better, but I don't think that that's a, a super great tool to, to utilize like on the regular. No, you, you just everyone's, like, right. Everyone's calamities are their calamities. Right. And you know, the worst thing that has ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Right. It doesn't matter that it could have been worse. That's not germane to the point. I went to Applebee's and they they brought me the wrong uh, order. Fucking blew my whole world apart. I couldn't. Yeah. I'm never going to recover from that. 
I thought I got a free fucking Sunday with this. <laughs> when Where's I see, my fucking Sunday? When I see people really spinning out about little things, I think like this is a symptom or a, res- a response from a much bigger situation. You know, it's not that this is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. It's just that you are so out of control of all other aspects of your life that somebody giving you the wrong coffee or something is that's the thing that sets you off. I call that opportunistic anger. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, my, my partner hates me and has made my life a a living hell, but you forgot to put the cream in my coffee. And that is a legitimate opportunity for me to express all of my hurt. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's wild. Um, Hey, I wanted to, I mean, I can't really very easily fold this uh, into what we're talking about, but I was thinking, I listened to whatever the last episode that we were published, and I started thinking about this story that my friend Dave Strunk told me. Uh, and I was thinking about the way that he tells the tells stories and the, the cadence and the inflection and everything. It always makes me laugh super hard. And I realized that I had this video. I talk about Dave Strunk and Mark Dickerson in one of the Shimano ad spots. And so um, I was at my friend Lisa and Jason's house a couple of years ago, and there were a bunch of kids running around. Um, and randomly, Dave tells this story, and I happen to be filming it, uh, and it makes me laugh every time. And I just want to share it with people for no reason other than it. it it's, just a, it's just funny. Okay, here, here we go. Okay. Today, we were at the urinal, and Buster Thompson, high on LSD, leaned over and puked on Mark Dickerson's dick. (laughs) (laughs) And then, right then, as he concludes that story, uh, this young kid walks behind him, (laughs) and that's where. He turns and says, oh, pardon me, after he tells the most obscene story about Buster Thompson barfing on Mark Dickerson's dick. Like, of course, it's a family-friendly story. You want to do a clean version of this podcast. <laughs> oh, man. I just, that fucking story brings me so much joy. Um, okay, you want to do, okay. mu- <laughs> you do music? We're definitely of the off week? the rails. We're nowhere near the topic of the day, and we've, we're twenty minutes in here. We we have already failed. No Let's way. do music picks. Yes, and then break. I'm in. All right, talk about it. Uh, please go ahead. You got your. I'll do. Oh. You do. You do yours, and then I'll do mine. All right. So I I like to um, sometimes pick records old records that um certainly changed the way i think about music records that i think maybe didn't get enough attention paid to them or like uh are just foundational and so my pick today is 1978 i'm just gonna say that again 1978's devo record are we not men we are devo so this is the first Devo record. It's got um, Jocko Homo. It's got Satisfaction. It's got um, it's got all these 
amazing songs. So, so uh, to me, as like I having grown, I was seven years old in 1978. Um, I associated Devo for a long time with you know Whip It and these sort of I think what uh, America broadly considered novelty songs, but they were just an unbelievable punk rock band making music like nobody else with ideas that nobody else like the the name devo uh is short for devolution and the idea was that mankind had stopped evolving and was now we were now in devolution um just just a fantastic record full of banging tracks it's the one with uh the image of chichi rodriguez the golfer on it uh which people might recognize i've heard i heard a whole podcast just about that record sleeve once it's an amazing story um there was this whole thing where the record label was like we can't put a picture of chichi rodriguez on on your album like we have to get his permission then it turned into this whole fucking thing uh, eventually Chichi Rodriguez was like I love this definitely do it <laughs> I'm not sure he understood everything that they were doing and saying and whatever but it's a great record it's one of those ones that I put on occasionally and I'm like yup still great the Devo for me I mean they were really sort of like my introduction to uh, air quote punk rock like I didn't know anything about it I was in third grade and there was a television show with uh starring Tracy Nelson who's Ricky Nelson's daughter Ricky Nelson mm-hmm. of uh he, he had that song Garden Party um and We're like a 50s 60s heartthrob kind of guy yeah yeah so so it's about these two it's about these high school kids and I think two of them were Tracy Nelson and her friend, and they were and they were like nerds, and then they were friends with these two punker guys, and and Devo played at the school dance in this one episode, and I'm eight years old, nine years old, and I'm watching this, and I was just, I was just befuddled, I was totally entranced. <laughs> And I remember going to school the next day, like asking all of my friends, did you, have you seen square pegs? Like that was, I want to do that. And then my friend Sage Mount moved to Evergreen from California and he wore vans and that Halloween we dressed up as punk rockers. And I remember I was told my mom, I was like, I want to do this all the time. And she, she goes, yeah, not, like every day isn't, you know, every day can't be Halloween. And I totally refused that response. You were like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I love that record. I love that era. I love that, uh, effort, that effort. And so weird to have, you know, such an involved and intimate relationship with this thing that happened that I really didn't understand. It just, I knew that that was for me. Yeah. If you if you if you go on YouTube and just look at some of their performances like Saturday Night Live, where they come out in their uniforms with like everything they did was fucking bizarre, but perfect. And they had this whole like staging where they were robotic and. And they were that what the another thing that I really loved about them is that they were from nowhere. You know, I mean, they're from 
Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. Right. But at that point, you're like, oh, these guys got to be from some exotic European country. Or like they're an art rock band from New York. Nope. They're an art rock <laughs> band from Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. Who really? No one told them that isn't a thing. Who really kind of changed the game for. And, you know, and you go back and look at old issues of skateboarder, or old issues of action now, and there's Dwayne Peters and Steve Olson and all this like super OG pros. And as yeah. they were getting into punk rock, you know, it was like the Avengers and maybe Avengers were even 79 or 80. But like Devo was like, that was all anybody had. That was all anybody yeah. knew. It was pretty cool. That's another thing I love about them is that because they incorporated synthesizer and all this other stuff, like in the in the like history does this thing where it decides, oh, the 60s was just this music. Punk mm-hmm. rock is just this music like, oh, punk rock is the it's a cartoonish, right? It's the Sex Pistols. It's the Clash. It's blah. And Devo was not like those bands, but they were <laughs> they were fucking punk. I agree. Um, yes. Anyway, um, if you haven't heard that record or you haven't heard it in a long time, uh, give it a listen today. That's good. Oh, you know what? In, in the episode that was just published, I kept saying that you got your walking papers and that means you're getting fired. What I was trying to say was you got your marching orders, <laughs> which are similar to me in my brain. It's walking or marching yeah. orders or paper. And so I, I think I said it twice and then I listened and I was like, oh, fuck. What an idiot. Is that why nobody listened to any of the... Uh, uh, that's what we're going to find out later. Like, they think we... No one listened to any episodes after we because you fired them. Great. Um, okay, so uh, my pick uh, is a Chicago two-piece. I talked a little bit about it um, when we chatted with Ashley in whatever episode that was. A uh, band from Chicago called Juna. Uh, it's D-J-U-N-A-H. Um, it's a drummer who is absolutely ferocious and uh, a woman named Donna Diane plays guitar uh, and sings and then plays this weird uh, like foot keyboard to do all of the bass stuff. And she's got this huge rack of pedals and effects pedals and stuff. And um, I've been listening to their newest record uh, called uh, Femina Furens, I think is how it's pronounced. It's uh, uh, Latin for furious woman. Um, and it is, it's a perfect fucking record. The more I listen to it, the more I hear, the more I hear, the more I love it. Um, I, you know, I say that there's like shades of PJ Harvey, um, and in the tonality in which she delivers. And I think it's like, she was writing all of these poems and she was doing this project. She was in another band and then she was like, well, fuck it. I want to keep doing this. Oh, Hey, Ike was cracking. Uh, uh, and she, so she launched this project secondarily or in the wake of her previous band. And it is just absolute fire. She's, it, it's incredible. And they're on tour right now. Um, I'm going to get to see them in June. And um, I, I love it. I love it. There's uh, whatever the track is, a uh, fifth track called Seven Winds. And it, it's unbelievable. I could listen to it. I have been listening to it on repeat. It's I can't say enough good things about it. She's such mm. an interesting person. And 
Um, she talks a lot about, she had a post at some point when she talked a lot about her own post-traumatic is chronic, I think chronic C PTSD, which is like chronic post-traumatic stress disorder. And I listened to a bunch of chats that she had about like, um, recognizing this and sort of opening the door for discussion and how she's processing her own, uh, uh, grief through, through her craft. Um, but also saying, and this was a really important thing for me to hear and to continue to relate to is that you don't need, you don't necessarily, this, this whole notion of a tortured artist is kind of, uh, a misnomer. You don't need all of this fury to propel you creatively. And she said, once I sort of dropped all of this stuff, my, my output became better and, uh, clearer. Um, and this was a conversation I had with a therapist, you know, like four years ago, he's like your identity and your anger and your confusion and your sadness and your creative output and all of this stuff is just so inextricably knotted that it's a it's going to be a really delicate procedure, but it can happen. And, um, I'm still waiting for that. Uh, I think my work sucks balls now. Um, because I'm actually like, you know, when I become happy, when I become really whole, uh, I, I feel like my work just changes and shifts in ways that I don't really like, but you know, anyway, uh, that's the record that I encourage everybody in a tour, a live performance, if you can catch them that, uh, I think will blow your fucking minds. I fucked up because they were here a few weeks ago and it was Twice. a Tuesday, it was a Tuesday night. And I missed, I missed them, uh, for dumb reasons. And, uh, I have the feeling like I'm not going to see them in small venues like that again. Oh, you know, I think you might. And they, the fact that they live at least adjacent to your time zone, you know, it seems like the bands I really want to see play in that part of the country a lot. And yeah. the band, you know, no, like the West Coast for at least those two bands, the West Coast is much farther away. Right. And it seems I think you're probably going to get the opportunity. And they have it seems like they have a lot of momentum with this record as well. They should. Um, really interesting people, though, really articulate in discussing their process and. Uh, and. Um, uh, I love it. Yeah. So. Uh, okay, so now we should do a Shimano word from Shimano. A word. A word. Revolting is sponsored by the homies at Shimano North America. They're hoping that you bunch of knuckleheads will check out their sweet new road wheels. Have you seen them? At 105 Ultegra and Durace levels, they have carbon disc wheels you can afford that are as well made as everything they make. One thing I really like about them is they're not rolling billboards. They're, they're low-key. You know, they're aero, they're tubeless ready. They're all those good things, too. Do us and yourself a favor. Give them a look at road.shimano.com. And we're back. We're back. Uh, this week, we're talking about confidence and what it does to our riding, our skating, and our work generally. Where it comes from and where it goes when it goes away and how to get it back. I, I hope no that's idea. what we're talking about. I'm not sure I have all the answers <laughs> or any of them. 
no idea. Where do you think confidence comes from? Either in your writing, your skating, or your painting, writing. And what are the things that cause you to lose confidence? Uh, everything and nothing? Uh, all, of the, all of the things. I feel like what happens for me is... Uh, like there's so all of the things that I do riding and well, primarily riding bikes and, and writing words, I do them pretty, I do them a whole hell of a lot. And occasionally I do good ones. And then all of a sudden my confidence kind of blows up. And then I think I do good work for a little while. It's almost like, Oh, I, Oh yeah. Now I remember how to do words things. And, and so things go pretty well for a little while. Uh, I also have these sort of manic periods just naturally where I'm full of energy and ideas. And I think those, those breed confidence, but then they go away because I also have depressive episodes Mm -hmm. Uh, and that kills my confidence. Uh, nothing kills your confidence quite like a crash or a hard slam. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, mm. that is the, to, to ride out those lulls is, is kind of, it's, I mean, the lulls by themselves are an integral part of, uh, of the process. I mean, if everything was good all the time, we'd have no perspective on when nothing would be good. Nothing would be good. Everything would just be kind of flatline. Uh, I, I, so I went in to see my friend Jason yesterday. Uh, did I already mention, did I mention that as we were recording or did you got tattooed? Was that before? Yeah. After I said I was never going to get a tattoo again, then I went and got a tattoo. Yeah. But, um, he was talking about, he said, I just, everything like, he was feeling really good. Like he, he just pushed through this huge span of time. It was like post COVID and, uh, he and his, uh, former business partner split and he was just going through the motions and he was, you know, he had people tattooing in his shop and, and, and there were just, the dynamic was just kind of, you know, out of sync. We'll see. And he said, I just feel so good about like the marks that I'm making my body feels really good. The paintings that I'm making are really good. I'm really excited about tattoos. Like this has been the first time. And it was so relatable because I understand working through bullshit. You don't want to work. You don't want to write. If you're not feeling good, you don't want to ride or yep. skate. And then like, I'm probably injured 50% of the time. And, or, you know, like yep. it's cold or you, yeah. I mean, you, you just, you do that. You go through the lulls and you push, especially the creative process is such a fascinating uh, idea to me because if you're, it's almost like if you're thinking about it, then at least that's part of the process. If you've given up thinking about it, if you think, if you've given up ruminating on the world and your perspective or your vision of it, uh, and you just are like, well, I'm, I'm just going to go through the motions. I can't, I'm out of gas. I don't want to write anymore. I don't want to draw anymore. I'm just done. Then, then, you know, if that works for you, that's fine. But it, it, it it's, it's intangible. Like the creative process is an, is an intangible one. And when it clicks and shit's good, 
it's like the sun shines brighter. Yeah. And that makes it so much easier to get through the down times. Even the down times might last years, you know, but like when things fucking work out or you have a show or you get some stuff published or whatever, it's indescribable. Yeah, it is. It, I don't even have to have like external success. Sometimes I just write a thing and I'm like, oh, I felt so good and right. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend, Sean, who is a successful journalist, um, <laughs> he's a proper writer uh, of um, journalism. He said to me a long time ago, really when I was just kind of deciding that I was going to be a writer, he said, the thing is, and this is, he was paraphrasing somebody else, but the, but the point and the lesson was... You have to write a million bad words to write one good one. Hmm. Yeah. And and so if you don't want to be bad at it, stop now. Um, and I'm aware that, I mean, I think I've written a few good things. Um, I am aware that even now I can write stuff that's not good. <laughs> like, it's just not good. Oh, for sure. And everybody has that. You know, we've talked about, like, what do the bands that we really love think about what we consider to be masterpieces? What do painters I really love think about what I consider to be their masterpieces? You know, do they do they kind of shrug and say, like, oh, yeah, that was a, it was a good exercise. It was a good experiment. The same way that that we do or we come up with something and we're like, OK, well, that's, you know, that's decent. And then go on to the next six months of trudging through, uh, you know, not failures, but adjacent to failures. It's just the work, right? It's just the fucking work. I mean, I I don't I have the experience. Sometimes I'll write a thing and I'll be I'll feel pretty blah about it. But I'm like, but there's a good idea there or there's some good words there. And then I rework it and then ah, it's still not right. But then eventually it's sort of like, oh, I kind of see the way like I sort of solve it. And I I'm wondering if you think in some of your your drawing or painting where you start something and you're like oh, I don't really get what this is but then but then you're like oh actually this is what it should be and this is what it should look like and it resolves itself it seems feels like it would be harder with what you do because it's harder to go backwards uh no well okay so first thing is I'm thinking of the an adage uh, the only difference between a master and a novice is the master has failed more times yeah, like I like I like that a lot. Which uh, and then I go, oh, it's you know, I guess I'm a master at failing because I fail <laughs> for fucking everything. I'm really yep. good at that. That comes naturally. Yep. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, you know, sometimes like I get into these things where like I I want to I want to shake up my reality and I want to you know put a giant piece of paper on the wall and I just want to fucking go at it and see what comes of it. But because my I lost my studio, my studio is much smaller, like I'm working much tighter and much smaller. And there's no room for like big, grand expression. Uh, and I feel like that's pretty stifling. So I continue to work uh, in ways that are super comfortable for me or or t- uh, t- topics um, or uh visual cues that are super familiar to me. Um, 
but even in 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 that i uh you make like it has happened historically where i will make a painting and every mark that goes on it is right it's like somebody else's hand is doing it because they're it's all coming together Mm -hmm. the mixing is, I feel confident in, in the marks that I'm making. I feel good in the colors that I'm mixing. I feel good in the, the execution of this, whatever, this idea that I'm trying to convey. And, uh, and then, and then other times and writing, I don't know, I guess to a degree it is transferable. This idea is transferable to writing, certainly with skating where it's almost like you're in somebody else's body. Like everything is working, everything is clicking. And then other days you're like, holy shit, how many left hands can a person have at one time? And it's just nothing, nothing works. Everything's yeah. out of sync. I don't even think of it as like being in a, someone else's body. I think of it as being in nobody. You know, like mm. you're on the bike, but you're not really there. The bike is just doing all the stuff. Yeah. And theoretically, I guess you're doing it, but you know, I, it's what that's called a flow state or whatever, but it's like, um, it feels so good. But then I also have moments where, <clears throat> and this is particularly true, like low speed bike handling stuff, bike content, everyone, <laughs> um, <laughs> We need a. I should have had the slide whistle. <laughs> <laughs> Ring a little bell when we're going to start talking about bike junk. Yeah, like low speed bike handling, where when it works, like the confidence boost I get from do uh, executing a piece of of technical bike handling. Yeah, uh, and then I'm like, oh, oh, everything just feels good now. Uh, I just know how to do it. Um, the trick is that I don't, it just comes and goes. I don't know. I don't really know how to get to it any other way than just keep going until it comes back again. Yeah. And it, and, and maybe it won't, or maybe it'll come back in a different sort of way. I mean, it's so rare for me to have like a really stellar, uh, day on the bike anymore mm. that I, I have had such stellar days, not a ton of them, but some where I was like, I was unstoppable. And maybe I've yeah. had five in the last 10 years, but those are enough to keep me going. Like, I know I look like a pretty shitty bike rider now, but you should have seen me in 2018, <laughs> uh, you know, February 23rd, 2018. I was right. on fire. Um, yeah. And so I just kind of like... Those are those are real uh, important feathers in my cap. I know I've had days where I, I could have been a contender, you know, and the older <laughs> I get, the fewer I have. But, I always uh, come a, back uh, from a ride like that now. And I say to my wife, I'm like, I'm I, you know what? I'm good at bikes. I'm good at yeah. bikes. Yeah. I haven't had one of those days in so long, but I, you know, also uh, I, I don't really care because my my perspective on it has shifted and I don't even like, you know, I go out with my buddy Greg and Joe and those guys are really good bike riders. So it forces me to, you know, like I'm giving chase and I don't, I don't ride mountain bikes, you know, four days a week anymore. Um, where I'm just like, I'm so, I've so honed this ability. 
Uh, and now I'm just kind of, now I'm just kind of leisure, you know, I love leisure. I love naps. Uh, I love, I think- like Ashley said at one point, she's like, uh, I would love to like come across you sleeping in the grass at some point. Cause I mean, that's really what I like doing. I just like being outside. So my, yeah, my drive has changed. I think that's right. I think that my riding now is much more leisurely, but occasionally competence breaks out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like this, I don't, you know, I don't know. You, 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 uh, you, you find a little feature. There's like a rock roll or something. And you're, you're like, oh, I, I totally, I totally nailed that. I looked real good there. I bet. I mean, we've joked about this stuff before. Like we both have these little ticks. Like sometimes I do like a back tire flick. So sometimes, you know, I'm just riding along on a, on a flat stretch of trail and there'll be like a, a, a rock. It's not a feature. It's just a rock that's over on the side of the trail. And I'll like reach over and kiss it with my back tire as I go by and yell 10 points. And, but like, <laughs> if it goes really well, if the tire kisses just right, I'm like, oh yeah, that felt good. And then I get all excited to try to do like, um, I don't, there's not really a, a mountain bike version of, uh, Tony Hawk's pro skater. Uh, but I feel like I do a little flick like that and I'm like, Oh yeah, now I'm going to do all the little tricks that score points. And then like, sometimes then I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I don't know, like on it. And I just get excited like a little kid, like, Ooh, I can do tricks. Um, I think when I crashed and I hurt myself, my confidence got shaken so badly. Uh, and it comes, you know, I get it back in shades now, but it like, I, I, it gave me, like, it showed me what it was like to be incapacitated. And we talked about this in an episode a couple ago. Uh, what you, what do you do when you're injured? And we, we, we talked more about what do you do when you're injured to, to distract yourself or to like aid recovery or whatever. And I didn't, I don't know if I really discussed so much like the psychological impact of, of being hurt and how that changed how I ride. It's this whole, um, you know, risk versus reward conversation. And I took a small, sometimes you want to, you want to avoid a risk. The reward is great, but also the penalty is potentially, uh, being stuck on a sofa for 10 months. I never, ever want to do that again. So that I don't know if I'll get my, I won't get my confidence back unless I get hypnotized again. I think there's a, uh, and I've been using this phrase too much lately, but there's a suspension of disbelief necessary to, to ride for me to ride my best because you and I both been riding bikes a long time. And that means that we're pretty good at all the regular stuff. And then if you want to really challenge yourself on a jump or a drop or this or that, the stakes are pretty high. Mm-hmm. And in order to do it, you have to not visualize yourself um, laying on the ground with your spinal cord severed. Because 100%. You, yeah. Well, that's so, that's you. You are you are visualizing worst case scenario. That is distraction. Fear is distraction. Distraction leads to mistakes. And yes. I haven't really been able to ride without some shadow of that since this one absolutely catastrophic mistake. It wasn't like it was the dumbest little, it was just a slight miscalculation and it led to so many 
bad things and I've physically I've recovered, but you know, I just, I don't want, fuck it. I'll walk a section. I'll have, I'll ride around a section. I don't have, I don't know, man. I'm just, I don't have anything to prove to myself or anybody anymore. No, I don't have anything to prove, but I still so enjoy doing a lot of that stuff. Uh, I think you have more physical, uh, I don't, I don't know. Like, like maybe it's, it's all of the additional exercise stuff that you do. Like it's, it's a pain in the ass for me to stretch, you know, like that's a hassle. Yeah. And when I was diversifying stuff and I was doing a lot of bar class before, uh, you know, but whatever, a couple, two and a half months ago, I kind of stopped cause I was sick and then I was injured and so on. Um, that I felt much better on the bike at that point. I kind of get the sense that that's how you feel all the time. Like my hand, my wrists are fucked and they hurt. And to do like a big, really intense mountain bike ride with lots of jumps and drops and stuff like that, that, uh, it, it hurts. And that gives me distraction, you know, and that can lead to further injury. I don't know. I just, my body, I've been too hard on it for too long. I feel that. I mean, I think, I think, I am, to your point, I, I probably am more uh, roundedly fit than you are because I do a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am always in pain. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think, um, but I think the point is that, uh, I mean, at least for me, it comes and goes like some days. And what's crazy is like some days, uh, like I remember probably my worst day or my best day on the bike in 2022, I went out, I was feeling kind of garbage. I was alone. There was, and we, and I normally ride more conservatively when I'm alone because I don't want to like crawl and drag my bike behind me, mm-hmm. you know, because I've wrecked myself so badly. So usually I keep it pretty chill, but I was at this place. It was real technical. It's my favorite place to ride because the, the obstacles and shit, there are just fucking magic. And it just, I just all of a sudden, like three minutes into the ride lit up and then I was dead nails. I was riding like there's these skinnies that lead to like taller skinnies where you're like, if I fall off of here, I'm it's gonna hurt. Uh, but I just like everything worked that day and I have no idea why. Hmm. Um, so it comes and it goes some days I like the body hurts or everything hurts. And I'm like, I don't know. Mountain biking is too hard. Let's just roll around and chit chat. That's fine. And then just out of the blue, it's like some, like I get zapped and I'm like, no, today, today you are a professional. I'm not, I'm never that good. I'm totally exaggerating. (laughs) Or even a professional who's 25 years younger than you are currently. Poof, you are adequate for a day. That's oh, that's the, more what it feels like. All things being relative, I think my 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 poofs happen uh, less frequently and maybe less intensely. But when the, our point being that when they happen, it's great. How do you access that? How do you tap into that on the regular? I don't think you do. I think it's just a matter of repetition. You keep at it, you keep writing, you keep drawing, you keep painting, you keep riding, you keep skating because you love the thing. You you do it especially to access those days where everything is right. Everything's in sync and everything flows. The rest of the time, you're just sort of practicing. Maybe you're just sort of practicing for those days and that's okay. Yeah. I I mean, I often say like uh, I do I, I do the I do running. 
I do trail running also. Yeah, and do. um I've done some longer uh events and I usually ride with my friend uh, run rather with my friend uh Magna and sometimes if you're doing a really long run like you'll start running and it feels terrible because running feels terrible and um she'll say how are you doing and I'm like oh we're this is just the run to the run we haven't started running yet <laughs> sometimes that's how and that's how I think of it in the larger picture is like are you going to be, are you going to ride great today? Uh, well, I'm going to ride until great riding happens. I'm riding to that ride. Yeah. And if it doesn't happen, that's okay too. Yeah. I didn't get that. I've, I, I clearly I've like resigned myself to purely uh, mediocre performance. <laughs> if it happens, I likely won't, but if it happens sick, you know, Sick. I, That's right. I, like I said, the the high times, the times that things really came into focus for me, they're not that far in the rearview mirror, but they've happened. And when they've happened, they've happened so intensely that I like I'd still I, I love I love that. And I love having those memories. And maybe I'll ride, you know, kind of generally lackadaisically going forward. But I I know I had it in me at some point, And that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's in there somewhere. Um, so in the second part of the second question, how do you get the confidence back? Talked about that. How much do you worry about it? Uh, not much. I would say of my spectrum of worry that probably takes up about, I don't know, 3%. I don't give a shit. When I lack confidence, when it's like, um, Especially after an injury, when I'm like, oh, no, don't hang it out there. Don't do that. Pull back. And you can tell that you're riding badly because you're afraid. Uh -huh. I do worry about that because I think it really it it really puts the brakes on the fun. I'm like, Jesus, like I've done this. I've I've got a million hours into this. Why is it? Why does it feel so scary and terrible right now? Um, And I, you know, I get these I, I'm so dependent on it also. Just being an adequate rider, not the great days, just being an adequate rider that when I'm so far off the game, I'm like, oh, this is like, I worry that this is now broken. Is the machine it, broken? It, yeah, that's your new normal. Yeah, that, um, that's no good. Well, it uh, from a person who uh, who whose normal is that uh, like constant <laughs> normal, like it, you get used to it. Oh, OK. OK. Um, I'll stop worrying uh, about it. Third question is our would you rather this week? And this comes from uh, this woman I know named Ashley texted me this randomly the other day. Uh, and I, it's it's, pre it's pretty it's pretty good. Uh, so would you rather have no hands? Or would you rather have 10 fully functioning penises as fingers? <laughs> so. So if you can imagine, you just have 10 limp dicks on the end of your palms. Yeah. And in order to like I was talking about this w yesterday, uh, if you want to pick something up, you have to get your thumb and your index finger erect just long enough to pick up. <laughs> like chopsticks. You want to flip somebody off, you got to like stroke your middle finger so it gets oh. hard and then you can hold that up. So, so they're, they can be that, individually aroused. I think that makes sense. Yeah. But you can't articulate. And if they're limp, they're just they're just useless. You have right. your palms at least. Uh, but you've got like 10 dangly bits off the ends of your palms. Well, what makes it even worse 
having all the penis <laughs> fingers is that the, the end of your penis has a lot of nerve endings and it's very sensitive. So like as an example, you don't know um, anything about my penis. I don't. That's a fact. Um, <laughs> curious. No, anyway, um, I eat a lot of <laughs> I eat a lot of foods that come out of the toaster oven. Uh huh. I mean, if you had penis fingers, even if they were <laughs> erect and useful, I mean, my kids are always like, well, dad feel dad is dead inside because he can just get hot things uh-huh. in his hands like that would be over. Yeah. No yeah. more handling like uh, it, you couldn't. It, it, there's so, so many things you wouldn't be able to do. Um, and I'm thinking no hands. At least you get hooks or prosthetics. Oh, hooks. Uh, there's my there's my loophole. Uh, but also potentially you could have, you know, 10 orgasms at one time if you if you worked oh. it or 11 uh, if you worked it right. But <laughs> Jesus, that, that's, <laughs> that's insane. And then if you have penis fingers, like where do the balls go? Are the balls like in your palms? Way too much. So <laughs> where do the balls go? Thank you, Ashley, for your effort. Uh, this was um, thought provoking. And I'm going to go with no hands. What do your gloves look like? I mean, I guess you're really just in mittens at that point. Uh-huh. Just Maybe you're in mittens all the time because it's <laughs> fucking obscene to go. Like you're at the grocery store. <laughs> oh. Stuff all that limp meat in a, in a mitten just so you can go to the shop and pick up some ground beef. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, I'm going with no hands. That's for me. I'll go with no hands because I... I also, yeah, hooks. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're welcome, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening to Revolting. If you enjoy this podcast week after week, uh, we need you to subscribe to the Cycling Independent. It's only $3 a month. With that, we can buy, what, a cup of coffee each a week, roughly, because coffee, hot brown water is pretty pricey. Yep. Um, don't be a dick about it. So on behalf of the, the Revolting Podcast and the Cycling Independent, I'm Steve-O. I'm Robot. Don't forget to suck it. Thank you.